You are listening to the audio podcast of Gethsemane Baptist Church, located in Long Beach, California, pastored by Eli Reynolds. I just thought it'd be a good thing to sing about an amazing God this morning. I hope that was okay with you. Take your Bibles, Matthew chapter 13, if you would. Matthew chapter 13 in your Bibles. Boy, I could talk a long time about our amazing God. I hope you have a lot to say about him today, too. You know, our world needs to know that we've got an amazing God. The world has such a wrong mentality of who God is and what God does. Some think he's just all love and, uh, you know, doesn't care about anything else but just, you know, love and there's no, no, no bad news. And some think that he's all judgment, that all he does is squash people like bugs. And they need to know our God's an amazing God. And he's been with us every mile our feet have trod. I also want to make mention, as you're turning to Matthew chapter 13, ladies, the new edition of the page is out there. This is a, a newsletter my wife writes at the beginning of every month. And so the table right outside the doors there, if you want to pick one up, uh, make sure you do that. It's really interesting and fun. I love reading it every month. I read it too. So, uh, and it's great. But uh, if, if we run out, we'll make more copies. So it'll be here throughout the entire month, okay? <clears throat> Matthew 13, and, and Easter is next week. I understand today is Palm Sunday and, and all of that. And, and, uh, but Easter is next Sunday. So be in prayer. Take some tracks this week and pass them out. I've never done that before. Take seven, pass one out every day. That's all you got to do. Just get into the habit of doing it. And uh, so for the rest of you, take some. we got plenty out there. Take some. If you don't use them, bring them Saturday. And let's get out there and get, uh, and get all of these to our neighbors here, letting them know about Christ, okay? And let them know about Easter Sunday. Matthew chapter 13, we do have the Lord's Supper right at the morning service here as well, in case you forgot about that. But I want to show you a parable. In fact, we're going to look at two parables this morning. And they are a pair. They, uh, they go together, and they share a very similar message. Look at Matthew chapter number 13, verse 44, 45, and 46 this morning. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hidden in a field. Now, let's just pause and remember that parables are Jesus is telling us a story, an earthly story, with a heavenly meaning. He's trying to explain some great truths that sometimes weren't even known at this point, and he's using a story to tell us. Now, in the past, in the other parables that we've studied from this passage, Jesus spoke those parables to everybody. But if we look back at chapter, uh, we're in 13, verse 36, we see that Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house and his disciples came into him. So these are parables, these ones we're going to look at, these two and then the one next week or two weeks from now. Jesus is just speaking to his disciples. Now you know that next week on Easter, I'll be speaking a different type of message next week than I will today. Why? Because the crowd will be different. Next week when people come to Easter, there'll be many people who've never accepted Christ as Savior. They don't know Christ. They don't know God. Maybe they had a lot of different beliefs about God growing up, but they need to learn the, the Bible says that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. And so next week we're given, we're given both barrels of the gospel message. But the other days of the year, we, we put the gospel in, of course, because that's the most important message. But I'm a pastor speaking to God's people that are saved and need 
need something specific from God's word. You need encouraging, you need teaching. And so Jesus, when he's speaking to the multitudes, he speaks in a different way and says different things than he will to those that are following him. Understand that? So, so these parables, that's what it's talking about. Now, don't get tripped up when it says the kingdom of heaven. I personally believe the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God is the same thing. It's where God is ruling and reigning. Right now, he's the king in the spiritual realm. Everything spiritual related to gospel, everything, God is king. One day, he'll be enthroned as, Jesus will be enthroned as king on this earth. And, uh, but he is, of course, the king. But that's what the kingdom of heaven is. Again, now to scripture. Sorry for that little uh, parentheses there. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in a field. The which, when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. I spent a lot of time studying these texts because there are two really main interpretations about these parables, and I've read what a lot of smart people have to say about it, and I actually have come away with my own conclusions about this text, and I might be the only one that thinks this way, but this is how I read it, and I'll explain it to you. But the, the common interpretations is to group these two parables and to say this. The first interpretation is that Jesus and the gospel are great treasures, and that we should sell anything for them. The second interpretation is that we are the great treasure that Jesus sold everything for. And so we're going to look today, and we're going to preach about this topic of treasures. Treasures. That's what we're looking at today. And we need to look back at the language of Scripture to see what's meant. But we're going to see that, that these two parables are dealing with values. What is valuable to you? And, that's, and then also, what is more importantly, not only what, is, what do I think is valuable, but more importantly, what does God think is valuable? And so we're going to look at that scripture a little bit, and, uh, and so let's pray together and we'll dive in. Father, I pray for your help today. I pray that, uh, Lord, people would not just see me or hear my voice, but they would hear the Holy Spirit speak into their heart. They'd be drawn to you, that you would draw all men unto you, that you would speak and move. And if there be anybody here that doesn't know you as their Savior, that God, that they would realize that that is the missing piece of life. And they need to accept Jesus Christ once and for all. And I pray for those here that are saved, the vast majority, that God, you would speak to us about what we value in this life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Of course, God's free to speak about whatever he wants to. I shouldn't pray that way. But when you think of something that is of the utmost valuable, uh, utmost value, what would you do to get it? If you thought something was of the utmost value, what would you do to get that thing? I remember, many of you may not remember this, I remember Furbies. Who remembers Furbies? Do you remember Furbies? Wow. All right, maybe you don't remember Furbies. Beanie Babies. Beanie Babies? You took the tag off, it's worthless. You remember that whole thing? You give it to your kid, and they're like, they rip the tab off. You go, ah! How about Tickle Me Elmo's? Remember these things? I won't even ask you this morning how many of you have stood in line for one of these, all right? Because my hand would be up, okay? I remember as like a 15-year-old kid, my parents or my mom was like, go to the store and stand in line and get a Furby. It's going to be worth a lot of money. So I stood in line for like four hours at Walmart with my brother. 
And some, I think it was maybe my sister or somebody else, and we stood there to get a Furby. You don't know what a Furby is. Google it. Not now, but later. And you're going to be like, why? It looks like a little gremlin. You ever seen that movie Gremlin? It looks what it looks like. And it's like, why in the world would anyone want a Furby? I don't know. But all of a sudden, it was a huge craze. Everybody needed a Furby. Every kid needed a Tickle Me Elmo. I mean, it's like, you know, a jingle all the way type of situation here where it's like we're, we're doing every, people are, honestly, people are like pushing savagery, with savagery, pushing through crowds, knocking people down. And if we're being honest, it was the women who were more savage in the lines. I mean, there's like elbowing people, stomping them, you know, give me that fur. It was amazing to see that people thought this little animal this Tickle Me Elmo, which is a creepy doll, by the way. And then, or, you know, whatever, what Beanie Babies, they're so valuable. They're so, they're so important. But can I say, if every one of those ladies and men that were in line, if someone had said, excuse me, I just saw someone is trying to kidnap your child. I'm telling you, you, you know what happened. Well, I hope this would happen. They would drop everything. They would, why? They would run after their child. Hopefully this would happen. Maternal instinct, paternal instinct would kick in. Because why? Because the child is more valuable. This thing seems so important, but in light of this other thing, man, no, that is of the utmost value, and I would do anything for that. Parents in here, you know, you'd do, you'd do anything for your kids. I mean, like, you wouldn't give them a car at 15, but you, you would do anything. Like, you would, to, to save them, to protect them, that's what, because why? Because they are your most important treasure, they, they are up there with something that you value above a, a, a dumb Furby or Tickle Me Elmo or Beanie Baby. You, you know, it, it, there is a value system that we have in life. We all value things differently, and God values things. God values things as well. And so when we're looking at this here, uh, we, we need to realize that this is dealing with valuables. Valuables. So let's look at the wording and I'll tell you what I think these verses, I believe these verses are talking about. I believe they are a pair, but I also believe that they are two sides of the same coin here. Look at verse 44. Notice the wording. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field. So the kingdom of heaven, the spiritual ruling place of God, the gospel, all of that, is like a treasure hidden in a field that somebody finds. Right? It's a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath and buyeth that field. So here in that verse, the kingdom is represented as being found. Look at verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man. So the kingdom of heaven was not like the man in the first verse, but he is like the man in the second verse. And the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. So here's a, a trader. Here's someone looking for deals. Here's a merchant man, and uh, he's seeking something. So in the first part there in verse 44, the kingdom is represented as being found. But here, the kingdom is represented as a man searching. So in one sense, it's found. In another sense, it's searching. So I do believe the parables go together, but I also believe they're, they're showing two sides of the same coin from a different vantage point. And if you give me a moment, I'll explain it in a couple thoughts, and we'll be on our way getting to the Lord's Supper. In verse 44, let's read these just again one more time. Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a treasure hidden in a field. 
So here's a treasure. And by the way, what's that talking about? Back in the days that this was going on, people didn't have banks. They didn't have Wells Fargo. They didn't have Bank of America. They didn't have social security or security boxes, whatever they're called. Uh, They didn't have that. So how would they take care of their valuables? They'd hide them. Pirate treasure, you know? They'd go and they'd hide it in the field and, and mark it some way that they would know where it was. So here's a treasure hidden in the field. Somebody finds it. And then when he's found it, puts it back or, or just leaves it there or covers it up or whatever and goes and sells everything to buy that field. Now, we could talk about the morality of that later. We don't get a lot of, of, of why and how that all happened. But we see this, that the, we find the treasure here. What is that treasure? In this verse, the treasure is the gospel. The treasure is Christ. The treasure is the kingdom of heaven. It's likened to a treasure which when a man hath found, he hideth and the joy there goeth and selleth all that he hath. We, we hear the gospel message. Where do we hide it? We hide it in our heart. And then it's like, man, I'll do, I, I, I want this. I want the kingdom of God. I want heaven. And that's the kingdom represented as being found. And that's uh, the, the joy that we would have to give everything to please our God and to serve Jesus Christ. That's the value of the kingdom. But look at the next verses. Then it says, again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a merchant man. So now the kingdom is doing the searching, seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, this merchant man who represents heaven went and sold all that he had and bought it. So on the other hand, I do believe that God looks at us as the pearl of great price. I believe these two things are not either or, I believe it's both. I believe the first part is saying that Jesus is to be of the utmost value to you. And I believe the second part is saying you are of the utmost value to Jesus. That's what it's talking about today. I want you to notice from both parables three things this morning, because every good Baptist message has three points. Number one, I want you to notice the seeking, the seeking In verse 44, there's a man who finds the treasure. I don't know if he was looking for the treasure, but he found the treasure. It is not the natural state of people that don't know God. It is not the natural state of those people to seek God. In fact, the Bible says in Romans 3.11, there is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. What that's basically saying is the flesh doesn't seek God. Are there people in our world that are looking for answers? Absolutely. Are there people on this block that we live on, uh, that, that we, our church is on, that are looking for answers? Absolutely. Are there people looking in the wrong place for answers? Absolutely. But there are people out there that want to know how to get out of the misery of life, the, the meaninglessness they feel in life, the, and, and some that are, are looking for, they, they've been in a religion all their life, and the religion has done nothing for them. The religion hasn't saved them. The religion has, ha, hasn't helped their life improve, and they're laboring in that because the Bible t- tells us that it's not about a religion. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so when you're looking at that, the, here you, you see a man that, that maybe his flesh wasn't seeking, but he found something. And here's the other part of that coin is the next parable says there that the kingdom, that the merchant man was seeking. So even though people may not naturally be seekers uh, in their flesh, God is seeking people. Remind you of Luke chapter 19, verse 10, where Jesus gives his mission statement for why he came to earth. And it says, and the Son of Man has come to seek 
and to save that which was lost. That's Jesus' mission statement. He came to seek people, to save people that were lost. Who's lost? We're all lost. We're all without Christ. We, 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 we're not born going to heaven. We're, we're born the opposite. We're born in sin, having to pay for our sin in hell. But Jesus came to seek and to save people that were lost. Why? Why would he do that? Because he says it's a pearl of great price. He's talking about the fact that you are valuable to him. I firmly believe this, that if you were the only person on earth, if it was just you and the animals on this earth, and you had sinned, I believe, and I, I believe with all my heart, that Jesus would have still come to this earth to die just for you. Because when he died on the cross, he didn't just die for me and my sins. He didn't just die for our deacons and their sins. He didn't just die for our staff and their sins. He died for everyone. And, their, and he paid for their sin. He was seeking. He's seeking. We were lost, but Jesus came seeking. And I want to tell you today, if you're here and you don't know Christ as Savior, Jesus is looking for you. Now, he knows where you are, but he's seeking a relationship with you. He is seeking to be able to come into your life and bring the joy and, 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 and peace that you've been looking for. That's what he wants because you are valuable to him. They're seeking. And then, then it comes to us, those of us who have been, who've known Christ for a long time. Are we still seeking him? You ever see it at Christmas time, you know, those bumper stickers or whatever, and it says, wise men still seek him? It, it, those of us that, that know God, are we still seeking him as valuable? Here's a man that finds a treasure in a field and says, oh, my soul, this is valuable. I'm going to go sell everything I have. I'm going to get rid of it all because I want that treasure. But why do we stop seeking God after we've been in church for a while? He's still just as valuable. The gold has not diminished. He is still, in fact, he grows more wonderful every day we know him. The longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. The more that I love him, more love he bestows. And that's so true. You're priceless to God. You're valuable to God. He was willing to pay an ultimate price to have you. So we see the seeking, but can I show you secondly, the smiling. What are you talking about, Pastor? I'm talking about the joy that we see in these verses. The sacrifice that is going to be made was not made out of drudgery, was not made out of, oh, I guess I have to. There was joy when that treasure was found. Look at verse 44. Again, the king of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, that which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath. Verse 46 talks about when he had found one pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. I think it's implied that there was joy there. This man had searched for the pearl and he found it. I find a lot of joy by finding something that's hard to track down. I tell my family often, I'm a finder. I'm a finder. How many of you, and you can think about this, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you are finders, right? What does that mean? If something's lost, I'll find it. And it's like great joy to me. Dad, I can't find my earrings. I'll find it. You know, and, and uh, you know, looking for something, there's a, there's a book that we can't find on our bookshelf. Oh, I'll find it. I dropped a fingernail behind the couch. I'll find, you know, and anything. Like I, maybe not that, that's kind of gross. But uh, I am a finder. 
I like it. For some reason, if something's lost and I find it, there's like this great joy and satisfaction. I'm like, yes. No one else feels that. No one else is excited for me, but I am. I'm like, yes, my life is complete. I found that key or whatever, you know. I, I, I find great joy in that. I believe here there was a lot of joy when the man found Christ. When the man heard the gospel, there's a lot of joy, the Bible says, in heaven when a sinner repents and gets saved. A lot of joy when something is found. Something was lost, but now I'm found. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. You know, I was once lost, now I'm found. And so there's, there's joy there. Think about this in Hebrews chapter, two, verse, chapter 12, verse 2. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Joy. Why? He, he values you. He values you. There was joy. There, the moment you turned to Christ and got saved, there was joy. The moment you found Christ and got saved, there should have been some joy. But after some time, often we can lose that joy. Why do we lose that joy? Because we have forgotten how valuable God is. Why don't I have joy in my life like I used to? Maybe it's because you used to look at your treasure and treasure it. And now you look at what you have and you don't have. And instead of looking at what you have, you look at what you don't have. And you've lost the joy because you're no longer valuing the treasure, the gospel message is, the treasure that Jesus is in your life. Maybe that's why there's not joy. So we have the seeking we have the smiling, but lastly, I want you to see the sacrificing. The sacrificing. Both parables show ultimate sacrifice. Look at the parables again with me. The, the, and notice that the buyer is willing to do whatever it takes to get the thing. Verse 44, at the end it says, And for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath and buyeth that field. Verse 46, who, this merchant man, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, notice in both parables, it was a willing sacrifice. They gave everything, and they gave it willingly. They gave everything, and they gave it willingly. Sold all that they had because they thought what they were getting was worth more than everything they had. That's what they thought. Well, what was the price that Jesus paid for you? What price, what did Jesus think you were more valuable than? Well, if you'll remember with me, actually take your Bible here, let's hold our place, but let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1, because I think you need to see this, and I haven't had you turn to any scriptures. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, towards the end of your Bible, if you go to the last book, Revelation, and go back about five or six books, you'll find 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. Notice these two verses. So important. So important in the Bible are these two verses. 1 Peter chapter 1. Look at verses 18 and 19. <clears throat> it says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed or bought back by God, with corruptible things like silver or gold, uh, silver and gold, from your vain conversations received by the tradition from your fathers, you, you weren't bought 
by Jesus with gold. You weren't bought by Jesus with silver. You weren't bought with Jesus by some religion or, tr or, or religious tradition, verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. What's that mean? Sinless. That was the cost that Jesus had to pay for you and for me. He had to be willing, if he wanted you in heaven with him, he had to be willing, because no one else could pay your sin debt except for you. No one else could pay my sin debt except for me. I was going to be judged. I was going to hell to pay for my sins, because I am a sinner, just like you are. We're all sinners. And so if I do the crime, I do the time. And I was on my way. No one could step in for me except a sinless sacrifice. And Jesus Christ, what did he leave? Everything. He left the Father's side. He left heaven. And he came to this earth that had been ruined by our sin. And he lived here for 33 perfect years. He never sinned. He lived on this earth. He thirsted. He hungered. He was God in the flesh. And he allowed people to take him and crucify him. And on the cross, man, he could have called 10,000 angels. He could have stopped it at any time. He could have judged people right then and say, how dare you do this? He could have rightfully sent every person there straight to hell. He didn't do that. He stayed on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And then at the end of the payment, he said, it is finished. When he had paid for your sin, when he paid for my sin, when he would suffered hell for us on the cross, then he gave up the ghost. And he gave, his hand, he gave his spirit to the Father and said, and now he's choosing to die. Of course, in one week we celebrate what he did after that. Three days later, up from the grave, he rose. Why did he do that? He thought you were worth it. He thought you were worth it. He said, well, no, I think he, he probably thinks other people are worth it. No, he thinks you're worth it. He's seeking you. He loves you that much. The price was not silver and gold. Those things aren't valuable to God. Your soul is valuable to God. He loves you. He didn't create silver and gold as the primary thing. He created that just on the earth for us, but we are the primary thing. He loves us. He died for us. Hebrews 12, too, I just read it. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So he endured the cross because he knew that if he could endure the cross and suffer for our sins and rise again, that's the important part, too, that he knew if he could do that, the joy was that he could welcome us into heaven because our sins have been paid for now, but only to those who accept him as their savior. So he pays the way, and then he says, it's up to you. How valuable do you think this gift is? Do you want it? What would you do to get it? And you don't have to do anything. That's the amazing thing about heaven is that the work's been done. All you have to do is take it. All you have to do is say, yes, I believe, and I want it. You come to the cross, that's what you have to do. Jesus paid it all. We say it earlier, all to him I owe. Sin hath left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. I love this verse. Listen to this verse. What did Jesus do for me and you? 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. So here's the pearl of great price. What's the merchant man give? Everything. He goes from having things and being wealthy 
to now only having the one thing. And Jesus, who is rich, yet he became poor and lived in poverty on this earth so that you might be rich in God, so that you might have the riches of heaven. You might have the riches of knowing him. That's why he did it, because you're the great treasure, you and me. Boy, that's, that's tough to hear, because we know we're sinners. We also know that God loves us anyway, and he finds us to be very valuable. So if that's the sacrificing of the merchant, and that Jesus was willing to pay that cost for us, and he has extended this gift, and he has extended the gift of a, a relationship, ongoing relationship with him, my question to you would be, what price have you paid for Jesus? What price have you paid for him? Again, you don't have to pay a price to get saved. You just got to believe. You got to turn to Christ and say, there is no other way to get to heaven except through you, and I'm accepting you as my Savior. That's the way to heaven. That's the only way, is accepting him. But what price would you be willing to pay for him? It may cost you some pride. It may cost you some time. But what price would you be willing to pay to grow closer to Jesus Christ? It's easy to get saved. It really is. It's easy to believe. I, I'm not saying that, that every person who just says a prayer is saved. I don't believe that. I think that you have to believe with your whole heart. I think you have to turn to Christ for salvation and not trust in anything else. But after that, the Christian life is not as easy. Don't, I, I, get, I get very, very frustrated and tired with this Christianity where people have to be begged to come to church on Sunday. People have to be begged to come to church on Sunday night. I, I don't want to hear about how great a Christian people are, that, 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 that they have no regard for the word of God. They never pray. They never witness. You know, it, it's amazing that this, this Christianity that, that, that is prevalent really only in America this, this American style of Christianity where it's just, you know, one and done. It's I come to church, I tip my hat to Christ on Sunday, and I live the way I want throughout the week. I worship the way I want. I do whatever I want. But, you know, God just forgives it all. What about the sacrifice? What about the verse that says we're to pick up our cross? What about, what about the, the life that is supposed to be lived of a disciple? Why does it take an emotional experience for people to make decisions at the altar? Why do we have to have food just to motivate people to show up to church? Why do we have to have talk people into serving or talk people into going soul winning and telling people about Christ? Why do we have to be sensitive when we talk about giving at church? Where is the sacrifice? Where is the heart of a disciple that says, whatever God wants, I'm willing. Whatever he says, I'll do it. Whatever cross he wants me to bear, I'll bear it, whatever it is, because he paid the ultimate price for me. There's nothing he can ask that's too much. Where is that heart? And I hope that heart beats in you today that says, you know what? No, I'm holding back on God, but no more. He sacrificed everything. I can give him my all, and I can say, all to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. He doesn't have to ask. He's got me. Whatever he wants. I'm all Jesus. I belong to him. That's what he wants. That's what he wants. That's what he deserves is everything. So many Christians today don't sacrifice anything for God when he sacrificed everything for us. So what have we given up for Jesus? What have you sacrificed? What is more valuable in your life than your relationship to Christ? And because here's the thing. If you value the relationship with Christ in your life more than anything else, you will have to give up some stuff. But it really won't seem like much of a give up. Because you've got the treasure. 
You've got the treasure. And here's the guy that says, all of this other stuff, all this worldly stuff, I don't need that. I've got Jesus. I don't need that. And when you get that, when you see Jesus as the treasure of your life, anything he asks for to say, hey, give that up, you're like, no problem. No problem. Because that's my Jesus. When we compare our love and passion for God with God's love and passion for us, it's no contest. He beats us hands down. It's not even close. His love and passion for you is greater than we could ever have for him. But we ought to love and have passion for our God today. I close with a story. I read about King Frederick William III of Prussia. This is a long time ago. During his reign, they were in the German area, uh, during his reign, he, he, caught, he came into some trouble. There was a war. I think the French were trying to occupy. And uh, wars cost money. And he couldn't surrender. He couldn't give in and capitulate. So he asked, because he had no more money, listen to this, he asked primarily the women of the country and the wealthy people to bring, if they'd be willing to bring their gold and silver jewelry and, and they could melt it down and pay for this war to protect their country. But the king did something smart. He said, for every item you exchange, we will give you a bronze or iron cross and it will read and say this, I gave gold for iron, 1813, the year 1813. When he put that proclamation throughout the land, it actually, there was an overwhelming response of people that were willing to sacrifice. Uh, so ladies were coming from all over the place. In fact, this is where the Iron Cross comes from in Germany. If you've ever seen those, this is where it originated. But uh, these women were prizing that gift from their king. They were prizing it. It, it. it was more valuable to them than their jewelry. Why? Because the cross was proof that they had sacrificed for their king. The cross that they wore was proof that they had sacrificed for their king. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. And when you do that, what does that show? It's proof that you are willing to sacrifice for your king. And I don't know what cross Christ wants you to bear. I don't know what you're holding back from God. I don't know if maybe the joy has left. I don't know if it's you just needed to hear today that you're valuable to God. But are you willing to say, hey, Jesus, whatever I have is yours? With the treasure, we see that nothing is more valuable to us than God. But with the pearl, we see that nothing is more valuable to God than us. He sought you, or maybe he's still seeking you. He loves you. He sacrificed for you because you're valuable to him. But what value does God have in your life? Are you seeking him? Are you happy in Jesus today, or have you lost that because you're not valuing what you should. Do you love him? Are you willing to give what it takes so that you could know him and walk with him? If we truly love him, we'll be willing to say whatever you want. Father, I pray that you'd help us today with this story, with this message. It is so convicting to me that you are willing to give up everything for us and sometimes we're not willing to give up